What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Another Turnover, a podcast where an NBA fan with zero basketball credibility gives his opinions on what's going on in the NBA, opinions that nobody asks for. As always, I am your host, Mr. Chris Aaron Murphy, a.k.a. A.A. Ron, and ladies and gentlemen, let's just jump right into it. So, folks, let's talk about the final so far. So, last episode, if you were listening, we had discussed games one and game two. Phoenix is up two to zero, or at least as of the last episode, Phoenix was up two to zero. So, with Milwaukee down 0-2, they're headed home for games three and four. So, let's get into games three and four. Let's talk about what happened. So, as we talked about, Phoenix held serve. Phoenix did what they were supposed to do by winning games one and two at home. And so now the pressure was on Milwaukee to do the same thing. So let's talk about what happened. What do we see? So in Game 3, as we saw, Milwaukee bounced back in a big, big way, winning Game 3, 120 to 100. So pretty much a blowout. Um, What Milwaukee did well, they lived in the paint, you know, driving to the basket, getting the switches that they wanted on, you know, Phoenix's smaller and not as strong defenders. Um, They were just killing killing phoenix in the paint like phoenix could not do anything to stop them from going to the basket um especially Giannis. there was literally nothing that phoenix could do to stop Giannis. he was a man among boys in that game three his stat line was 41 points 13 rebounds six assists he also shot 13 of 17 from the free throw line think about that a guy who has been clowned all playoffs pretty much most of his entire career for not shooting free throws well getting 17 free throw attempts and making 13 of them I mean that's those are James Harden's number there we know how James Harden is able to get to the rim but Giannis hitting 13 of 17 you're probably going to lose that game if he hits that many free throws I'm just saying but we saw him being aggressive we saw him um, playing to his strengths and not to his weaknesses that's been the knock on him you know pretty much his entire career it's like you know why are you shooting the ball like yeah it's great you know you want to make people respect you you know when you're wide open like that but go to the basket drive to the basket it's unlikely that you can get stopped one on one but the bucks offered plenty of help for Giannis in that game three um drew holiday put in 21 points nine assists really solid night middleton didn't score a whole lot like we are accustomed to him but he did put in 18 points seven rebounds and six assists so a full game from the other two of the big three in milwaukee um they really really made phoenix's backcourt um work um what's been key i think in games three and four but you know specifically talking about game three drew holiday's defense on chris paul has been excellent um, Chris Paul has has definitely struggled, um, and I think uh, a lot of that credit has to go to Drew Holiday and his effective defense guarding Chris Paul on the perimeter. Uh, CP3 um, in that game three had 19 points, nine assists, but Devin Booker really struggled. Um, he only had 10 points and shot three of 14 from the field, um, which we're not really accustomed to to him doing at least so far in this playoffs. Not putting up big numbers, you know, only 14 shots. Um, we're used to him taking, you know, at least 20 to 25 shots a night, but he struggled. Um, and and give credit to the Milwaukee defense, you know, they they did what they could to bother him, but he um, he had some good looks in that game three, um, had some shots that he normally makes, but they just weren't falling. So it was definitely an off night for Devin Booker, only 10 points, like I said. Um, but in game three, Milwaukee actually shot better from three than Phoenix did. 
which has not been the case for most of this series because Phoenix is the better perimeter shooting team. But they made 14 threes um, versus 9 threes only from that Phoenix Suns team. They also um, beat them on the free throw line, and I think a lot of this had to do with Milwaukee being more aggressive. They attempted 26 free throws versus the 16 free throws for Phoenix. Um, now, part of that has to do with the officiating, but I'm going to get into the officiating later, so don't worry about that. But all in all, Milwaukee out-rebounded Phoenix. They had more assists than Phoenix did. They had, like I mentioned, way more points in the paint than Phoenix did, and they turned the ball over less. So usually those are recipes for a W, and Milwaukee did just that in Game 3, avoiding that critical 0-3 hole and making the series 2-1. to So let's go to Game 4. Let's see what happened in Game 4. How was Phoenix going to bounce back after that blowout victory from Milwaukee? Um, And we saw in Game 4, Game 4, when you're listening to this, will be two nights ago. Game 4 was Wednesday, yeah. Uh, Phoenix controlled most of this game. Um, I think the biggest lead was either 9 or 11 at one point, but it kind of seemed that Phoenix was mostly in control of the game. Um, I know it was close at halftime, but from what it seemed like, Phoenix kind of had... Had things the way that they wanted to go, but the game was kind of sloppy. Um, it, not great in terms of perimeter shooting. Um, each team only made seven threes. Um, I, I think you had Milwaukee that attempted more, but um, yeah, only seven three-point shots made from the team. But Phoenix did shoot better from the field overall. They took less shots, but they had a better percentage. Shot 51%, whereas Milwaukee only shot 40%. So what did we see in this game that was different from the previous one? What was different from games three to game four? Um, Obviously, we saw Devin Booker bounce back. If you watch the game, Devin Booker bounced back in a huge way. It was definitely... Um, a game that he had needed to prove himself after that 10-point performance, and he did just that. He had 42 points and kept hitting tough shot after tough shot. There was literally nothing that Milwaukee defense could do on Devin Booker. I mean, he whether it's Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, Pat Connaughton, Devin Booker was killing the Bucks, and it was so fun to watch. I love those those moments. That was a definitely, I would say, obviously this is Devin Booker's first playoff run, but that's going to be a memorable game for him, you know, that 42-point night that he had just the other night. Um, I mean, he, like I said, he could not be stopped. He was, like I said with Giannis in Game 3, a man among boys. But Devin Booker was tearing up that Milwaukee defense. There was nothing they could do about it. But um, on the defensive side for Phoenix, Phoenix did, um, we mentioned, or their coaching staff, Monty Williams, mentioned that they would, you know, be implementing the wall, quote-unquote, um, against the Giannis d- to prevent him from getting out in transition and, you know, going to the basket with his, you know, huge frame and huge stride. So we saw that that wall defense on Giannis, which was mostly effective, more or less effective. Um, Giannis was forced to make more plays um, for his teammates, make more plays for the guys around him, which obviously is a good thing. But And he didn't have a bad night. Um, we didn't see the same Giannis that we saw in Game 3. Um, I don't know if it was, you know, the defense there, you know, Phoenix was playing or the lack of aggression or whatever it was, but it seemed kind of different. I know he's still dealing with that nagging injury, but, um, you know, we don't want to, we always mention injuries when somebody plays, you know, poorly, but we don't mention it when they're playing good. So that's not an excuse, but stat line wasn't too bad. Um, 26 points, 14 rebounds, eight assists. Like I said, he was more of a playmaker because of that, that wall defense collapsing on in on Giannis in that game four. 
But Middleton really was the main reason that the Bucks were able to close it out down the stretch. Middleton had a fantastic game after putting in an 18-point perform- 18 performance in Game 3. Middleton with 40 points, 6 rebounds, and 4 assists, and hitting and kept hitting late shot after late shot. His mid-range game, him and Devin Booker, actually, their mid-range games are incredible in a in a lost art in today's NBA is what a lot of people um, like to believe, a lot of people think, but both of their mid-range games are phenomenal, and that Chris Middleton's was the reason that Milwaukee really was able to, like I said, close down the stretch. Um, Phoenix also had a bunch of costly turnovers, too, um, in that game. I mean, Chris Paul was not handling the ball well, which is a rare thing for him. Uh, makes me believe that you know his wrist injury is a little bit worse than you know, what, what they're letting on, but he had some costly, he had a, he had a late turnover in that game where I believe they were down either two or potentially four at that point. I think it was less than a minute left in the game. And, um, that was one of the, one of the turnovers that, that really cost him down the stretch in, in the end of that game. But rare turnovers, like I said, for Chris Paul, he's had, I think they showed us that he's had like 15 turnovers in the last three games, which is, an absurd stat for him, the you know quote unquote point god, which is crazy. But Phoenix as a as a whole had 17 turnovers versus Milwaukee's five. So part of the reason why Phoenix couldn't really pull away, you know, they would get ahead, you know, five, six, seven, eight points, um, but they kept turning the ball over. So they had some some really costly mistakes, which for you know for a Monty Williams coach team and for Chris Paul it was rare. But um, Milwaukee. Ended up winning the game late, winning it 109 to 103. So the series is now tied. We are 2 2, heading back to Phoenix. And I picked, as you all know, I picked Phoenix in six, and everything is going to plan. Just kidding, because I, <laughs> I really think that this is probably going to go seven. Um, with the way, with the way these, bo- both of these teams, they, they do well in different areas, and if one area for one team um, is working, um, it really, really works, and the other team can't really do anything about it. And that's really Phoenix off the perimeter um, in their guard play, and that's Milwaukee heading to the basket. So it's like, which one, which strategy is going to prevail? Because you've seen, now you've played four games in a row. At this point, it comes down to who's going to execute, and who wants it more. Because you pretty much know what each team is going to bring to the table. So there's not, I mean, there's sure there's strategy involved. There's things you can tweak. There's things you can change. But at the end of the day, the player's going to have to execute. But from what we've seen, I think this this series is, it's probably going to go seven the way it's looking right now, but with the way it's been officiated as well. And let me, let me talk about that really quick, because... The officiating so far in this NBA Finals, I'm not big on complaining about the refs. At least I like to believe I'm not. Maybe I am. But I'm the way this series, especially Game 4, but the way the series as a whole has been officiated, the these refs suck. Like, it has been awful the way they have called this NBA Finals. Like, the refs, I know the refs are a part of the game, and I know they're human, and they... They make bad calls, and you know sometimes they make bad judgments. But the referees suck. Like it is terrible. Like Devin Booker basically had like nine fouls in that game four. Like he went to go wrap up 
Drew Holiday, you know, to stop him from, you know, making a layup. And they didn't call it. And the referee was like, well, I thought he got all ball. How did you think he got all ball? Like, uh, how? Like, that? how do you miss that? Like, everybody saw that. Devin Booker should have been tossed. Um, I mean, not like, you know, for an ejection, but like, he should have had a sixth foul. Like, there were so many plays where Devin Booker should have fouled out. Like, it, it, I don't understand how you miss it, but... There were so many missed calls, so many no calls, phantom fouls, as you call it. Like, that were just so glaring. Like, the referees in this finals have been terrible. Like, it's, I was talking to, I was talking to my buddy Trevor about it. Like, we were talking in our group chat about how it's frustrating for these players because all year, like, the referees call, call things one way. And then in the playoffs, it's different. Like, they call, you know, they don't call fouls the same way they do in the playoffs like they do in the regular season. And I get it. The players are playing harder um, and the games are more intense. I get that. But it's like, just be consistent. I, that, that's, I think that's really all what anybody's asking for. Just be consistent. Like, make the right call, you know, all make make the right call when, when the call needs to be made. Not for trying to make it up for missing a call here, trying to make it up for missing a call there. Just make the right call. Like, just make the right call (laughs) i don't know i don't know any other way to put it but the referees really really got to step up i just feel as if the referees are like not accountable like that whole two-minute report like they released a report oh yeah like a foul should have been called on devin booker you know for you know he had a foul on drew holiday that we missed of course you missed it everybody knows you missed it but it doesn't change anything that you put it in a two-minute report it just i I don't know like the the referees got to do better so that's sorry. That's my little rant on the officiating, but the referees got to do better. But let's transition, y'all. Let's take a look around the association. My favorite and only segment I have on the show around the association, and let's see what's happened this past week in some of the NBA's headlines. Um, some news from the USA men's basketball team. USA men's basketball team lost their first two exhibition games, losing to Nigeria, I believe, ninety to eighty-seven. And losing their second um, exhibition game to Australia, a, a tough, tough Australia team led by Patty Mills and Joe Ingles, a few of those guys, Dante Exum, um, losing that, I believe, by about seven or eight, if I'm not mistaken. But um, a lot of people are freaking out. I feel as if people were kind of panicking for no reason, blowing it out of proportion. Like, okay, exhibition games, like, you know, we're, you know, figuring it out, learning to play together and whatnot. You know, these some of these international teams have been together longer, which... I mean, not really that much of an excuse, but um, I don't think it's a big deal. I think the USA men's basketball team is going to be just fine. I think they're going to win the gold, more than likely. Now, I'm not saying that a gold medal win is going to be guaranteed, but I do believe that we're better than all the international teams. However, I will say this. I do believe it's going to be difficult. I think it's going to be tough. It's not going to be a cakewalk that we've seen, you know, or we just rolled through teams like in 2008 and 2012. Like I don't think it's going to be that you know that easy. However, um, these international teams now are better than what we've seen in the past. I mean, like I was watching um, watching one of the you know the NBA shows and they were talking about how a lot of the best players in the league now coming coming from different countries. I mean, you have um, Nikola Jokic, this year's MVP from Serbia. Arguably, um, the best player probably under 24 is Luka Doncic, who's from Slovenia. Um, you have so many guys, like Joel Embiid, arguably one of the best bigs from Cameroon. So you have a lot of international players who are 
downright all-star superstar level in the NBA. So these teams are better. These international teams know how to play the game, especially with the feeble rules. So I don't think it's going to be a cakewalk, but I obviously I'm putting my money, putting all my money on the USA winning gold. But other news that came out from the USA men's basketball team, unfortunately, Bradley Beal, guard for the Washington Wizards, who was a starter for all three exhibition games so far for the USA men's basketball team, is going to miss the playoffs due to health and safety protocols. Um, it's been reported that you know he was put in health and safety protocols along with Jeremy Grant, teammate, um, just out of a, an abundance of caution. But he unfortunately will not be going to Tokyo. He is not going to play, which really sucks. This was his you know first first experience getting to play for the USA men's basketball team. So um, feel for Bradley Beal. It's kind of sucks. I'm, they haven't said like whether he contracted COVID or was you know you know due to contract. Ta- due to contract tracing next to someone who tested positive. But um, sucks for Bradley Beal that he's not going to be able to go. Um, I was really, really hurt to see that, to hear that. But let's take a look. Um, Tuesday, it was reported that Sixers have engaged in early discussions for star point guard Ben Simmons in possible trades. Uh, The reports are saying that Philadelphia is seeking an all-star caliber player in return, which, of course, I mean, Ben Simmons despite his struggles in this playoffs, is an all-star caliber player, so it makes sense that they want one in return. But according to Mark Stein, numerous teams are interested in trading for Ben Simmons. So specifically, the ones mentioned were the Cleveland Cavaliers, the Indiana Pacers, the Minnesota Timberwolves, Sacramento Kings, and also the Toronto Raptors were reportedly interesting interested as well. Um, now, I thought the Sacramento Kings being interested obviously you got all these teams interested whether they're going to make offers is a different story but I thought the Sacramento Kings was interesting because if they were possibly willing to trade De'Aaron Fox um and maybe you know one of their other young pieces like um like Marvin Bagley or something like that I could see that potentially working now I don't know how big Sacramento is on player development but we have seen an improvement from De'Aaron Fox once he once he since when he first got in the league um, from a few years ago. So De'Aaron Fox on that Philadelphia 76ers team, I could potentially see that working, but the reports are saying that it is highly unlikely that Sacramento is going to be willing to part ways with De'Aaron Fox, even for someone like Ben Simmons, which makes sense. I get that. Like De'Aaron Fox is their guy, and that's who they want. But um, some of the reports are saying that the Sixers could possibly want three first-round picks from Sacramento um, if the deal included... Buddy Heald and Marvin Bagley as well. So, which I I think I think you could possibly in in the right package get at least three first rounders for Ben Simmons with the amount of money he's old and owed. And he's twenty four. So I mean, you would hope that he's going to take this you know this last playoff run seriously and get better. But you know, only time will tell. But in more Ben Simmons news, this one I'm gonna have to. I'm going to have to slow down when I read this one, so I'm, so I'm not, not too emotional. But uh, the San Antonio Spurs are reportedly among one of the teams very interested in possibly trading for Ben Simmons. So, I mean, the Spurs fan in me doesn't want Ben Simmons anywhere near San Antonio. I don't even want him to look at the Riverwalk. I don't want him to, to come to the airport. I don't even want him to play pickup in San Antonio. Like, I, I don't want Ben Simmons in San Antonio. But... If I'm being objective, as objective as I can, could there potentially be a package for maybe like Tamar DeRozan and 
one, possibly maybe two of our young guys, arguably maybe one, and then our number 12 pick, because we do have a lottery pick this year. Could that potentially work? Um, now, I know DeMar DeRozan is a free agent, um, so he's free to sign wherever he wants to, but could there be some sort of sign-in trade? Is there interest with DeMar DeRozan in Philadelphia? Um, none of the reports were saying that Philly was interested in DeMar DeRozan, but they do have, you know, the reports that San Antonio wants to make make a run at Ben Simmons. So, yay! I'm so excited. <laughs> um, but we'll see. I mean, I I personally hope that Ben Simmons doesn't come to San Antonio, but I'm not in the front office, so they know better than me. So we'll see what happens. In other news, Kawhi Leonard, um, star forward for the Los Angeles Clippers, had surgery to repair his partially torn ACL, and there's currently no timetable for his return. Um, now, this, this is a little interesting because, you know, we know Kawhi Leonard's injury history, you know, the way he, you know, left San Antonio after they, you know, misdiagnosed his injury, and that was a whole debacle and all that stuff, but with... Kawhi Leonard and the Clippers, they kept saying, you know, when he got hurt in that Utah series that he was kind of day-to-day with a sore right knee, and there was speculation, like, is he going to come back, or, like, is he not going to come back? Skip Bayless was saying on TV, like, you know, that he needs surgery, like, he was the only one saying that, so he had it on good authority from a source, excuse me, a source, so he kind of called it early, but, like, why not just say that he was going to be out for the playoffs, or, like, out for good, like... I don't get it. Is it to keep, you know, keep your team, the your opponents guessing? Or, you know, what what's the idea behind that? Because you knew he wasn't going to play, so it's just like, he's not going to play. He's done for the playoffs. I don't understand the need for the whole day-to-day and then being coy and all that stuff. But um, there are some people that believe that this is going to affect, you know, because Kawhi Leonard is in a contract here. He has a player option, so he can opt out of his player option. Some people believe that this is going to affect his money um, for getting a big his next big contract. I personally don't believe so. Um, we saw that happen with KD back in 2019 towards Achilles. Teams were lining up to sign him. They're like, yeah, you can take a year off. Like, we, we still want you. So I, I think it's a similar situation where um, Kawhi Leonard will probably still get all the money that he was going to get whether he had got hurt or not. So um, he's likely going to miss the first few months of the season at least. Um, we saw Spencer Dinwiddie with... Uh, a fully torn ACL was able to come back after like like six or seven months or something like that. He came back quick, but everybody obviously heals different. Um, I definitely could see Kawhi Leonard maybe not coming back to like December, possibly January of um, January of 2022 in this upcoming new season. So we'll see. But last piece of news I saw, which which made me laugh because the the absurd nature behind it. Well, not even it's not even absurd, but anyway, let's get into it. The Golden State Warriors have internally discussed trading for none other than Damian Lillard. The rich just keep getting richer. So, honestly, this report didn't even surprise me though. Like it's so like out out there, like way out of left field like for gold, for, you know, Golden State to try to make a run at Damian Lillard, but the front office they know what they can do, and they know what they can't do in Golden State. Like, when uh, Kevin Durant, I remember when Kevin Durant signed signed there um, after that uh, the 2016 playoffs, if I believe it was. Um, everybody was like, how in the world do they have all the money for that? And I was saying the same thing. I was like, what? How much luxury tax are they paying? But clearly their front office is totally fine with paying their luxury tax as long as they're selling tickets, which they're doing, and as long as they are winning. So, But the reports were saying 
a deal for Damian Lillard could possibly be constructed or centered around James Wiseman, the number two pick from last year, the number seven and the number 14 picks, because Golden State has a seventh and the 14th pick in this year's um, this year's NBA draft that they got from the lottery. So now would Clay Thompson be included in this deal? Because if I'm Portland, obviously, if I'm giving up Dame Lillard, I want Clay Thompson at at minimum, the deal starts with Clay Thompson, at least in my opinion. But Clay Thompson, for what he does for that Golden State team, I know he's been out for a couple of years with you know with multiple injuries. Well, for what he does for that Golden State team, I'm not giving up Clay Thompson, not even for Damian Lillard. Because I mean, a team, a backcourt of Dame and Steph, obviously, yeah, dynamic on offense, but defensively is uh, mediocre, and that's me being nice. Um, so. I'm not including, if I can get the deal done without Klay Thompson, sure, I'll entertain it if I'm Golden State. Um, but, you know, if I'm if I'm Portland, I want Klay Thompson. I, I just don't see that happening. But imagine the outrage from the NBA community with that, though. Like, you would have Warriors fans, obviously, rejoicing, you know, for getting someone like Damian Lillard. But if they had to give up Klay Thompson, could be a different story. But stranger things have happened. Obviously, Golden State is doing this whole free agency thing better than we are, so we shall see what happens. But folks, that is all the show I have for you today. Again, thank you so much for listening. If you could do all the good things, like, share, subscribe, follow your boy on the socials on Twitter at Murphy. that's A-Y-A-Y-R-O-N Murphy, and the Another Turnover podcast Twitter page at Another Turnover. So that is all I have. Thank you again for listening. Have a wonderful weekend, and I will see you on the next one.